Swing and a drive! Welcome to Red, White, and Blue Jays, the podcast home of Blue Jays Fans UK, a group connecting Blue Jays fans around the UK and beyond and telling their stories. And now, here's the host of Red, White, and Blue Jays, Steve Hunter. Hi, guys. Welcome to uh, episode 43 of Red, White and Blue Jays. And I'm very pleased to welcome today's guest. Uh, already been with us uh, last season, but a very, very warm welcome back to the podcast. Ben Wagner from the Play by Play Blue Jays radio booth. Great to have you with us, Ben. How are you, sir? Uh, doing great. Uh, excited for a huge series as we sit here and record this. Blue Jays are playing well, coming off a sweep, welcoming back to Oscar Hernandez and maybe a couple of bad memories from the wild card with the Seattle Mariners uniform coming back to Rogers Center. But it should be uh, an electric atmosphere like we've been treated to here in downtown Toronto so far. Yeah, no, it has been. And I want to talk to you about just how the Rogers Center is feeling at the moment. But before we do that, I saw last night big event obviously down at Rogers Center the Jays Care charity ball and uh, you were a guest amongst uh, many of the Sportsnet's guys how was that last night yeah I don't know how a ticket fell in my lap uh, with <laughs> who I was surrounded with my goodness it's first and foremost the Jays Care Foundation is doing incredible work across the country of Canada and the work that they do makes an impact in communities and I'm I've been fortunate enough to be directly connected with a number of initiatives and next week there will be hundreds of kids running around on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning. And I'm going to be down there sweating like crazy, you know, going through the drills and tossing balls. So uh, the, 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 again, the initiatives are really important, but they're also important to me. So to have uh, um, an ability to touch uh, that program and help out those people that are working tirelessly year round, not just in these big special events, uh, and it's always fun for me to get dressed up and, you know, go to these things and interact with so many of the players, their spouses, their girlfriends, family members. Uh, it's it's a unique, intimate setting, but it's also very important because so many drivers in the community, so many leaders from a corporate standpoint, both from the Blue Jays and supporting the Blue Jays as an organization are there, too. So it's really nice and to see those faces, but also really connect with the fans that are there too, because it is a once in a lifetime experience yeah. for, you know, somebody that is passionate about the Blue Jays to get an opportunity to be down on the field and then be shoulder to shoulder with the best players in the world. And um, we're fortunate, fortunate enough and, uh, to have a number of those guys on, on the Blue Jays right now. Yeah. I mean, you're living the dream job at the moment, I would think, aren't you? It's just extraordinary what's happening around Blue Jays world. Exciting place to be. Um, I, I was just sort of thinking to my opening question, really, in terms of the Jays. The city, to me, seems like, in terms of Blue Jay fandom, we won't talk about what happened with the Leafs last night, but in terms of Blue Jay fandom, the place is pumping, isn't it? I mean, Roger Centre just feels like it's on fire. Yeah. Once opening day arrived, you started to see more T-shirts, caps, uh, and we had great weather. And I think this is what really <laughs> injected energy 
into Toronto and the GTA and over the country. The numbers for broadcasts have been just outstanding, remarkable numbers. Um, so really fortunate to have that kind of loyalty from a fan base standpoint. But that roof open with the renovations, the buzz that was in the ballpark, you know, that automatically is associated with opening day and the desire of a fan base to get their baseball team back in. And it was a long, cold, gray winter in Ontario. So to have all that in this perfect storm and a really good ball club come into town, uh, it, it was definitely exciting. And the energy is now just kind of rippling, right? The team is playing well. The pitching is outstanding. You love the new characters and the brand of baseball that you're seeing from the Blue Jays and the guys that you wanted as prospects to succeed at the major league level, like Vladdy and Bo, they're having tremendous starts to the year. So a lot of this is just swirling around and building excitement. And yeah, the city is split right now with a lot of emphasis on what's going on with the Leafs. Yep. But I mean, whatever happens, hey, uh, you know what? If the Blue Jays are playing well and the Leafs are playing well, this place is going to be a utopia. <laughs> Absolutely. And and of course, the Leafs aren't out of it. It's only right. uh, just lost the game last night. It's a big game on Saturday, Saturday for them. I mean, just going back to the Jays in terms of the opening home opener and stuff. I mean, we had a lot of excitement of, across on this side of the pond. It's just as exciting for us to be able to sort of watch in and listen in to you guys as you present the, the ball game to us. Uh, and yeah, just trying to get a sense of the anticipation, I think, around this team this year there was a lot last year but i think uh, and we'll talk a little bit about in terms of the new guys that have come in but there is i think a greater expectation of you know just missing it out two seasons ago by that one game getting into the postseason obviously the mariners outdoing us last year this year that it really feels that there is a real good chance of a good push into postseason baseball is that is that your sense already yeah i think the anticipation is because of expectation and that starts with so the, the clubhouse that starts within those walls, what those players have felt. And again, it, it is a it is a story that should not be uh, not be stopped. And it should be reminded of people what this franchise has gone through in those players around the pandemic, around searching for a home that no other franchise in professional sport no other franchise uh, you could loosely connect the Raptors season and when they were relocated, but what the blue Jays had to go through and the, the obstacles that were in front of them, even though many of the faces have changed certainly since 2020 and then getting through 2021 and having three different homes again, the, the level of success, the level of determination and the mental anguish that these guys went through. Um, it's finally Nice to see some normalcy and some routine with this club. And I think now that there aren't all of these things on the periphery that they're worried about and having to deal with, and just think about it from a human element for a second. You go to spring training, not knowing where your home is. So if you've got little ones, if you've got a wife, if you've got family that wants to come and visit or at least help you out in the transition from spring training, your, your life is on hold. You're just kind of twisting in the wind. But on top of that, then, you know, you're worried about, uh, and this is a clubhouse that has welcomed a lot of little, a lot of little toddlers recently, right? That's a they young have. clubhouse. Yeah. They're building families, you know, and they're popping kids out one by one. Well, they have doctor's appointments and they have things that in life that you and I have to go through. That's pretty much, you know, like 
put it on the schedule. We know we're going to be here in six months. And all that stuff has to be coordinated, arranged and shifted back and forth. So anyway, there, there was a lot on the plate of front office members, coaches, people on the baseball operations standpoint, let alone the players that are trying to get out there and, and perform. So um, it was just, it's pretty remarkable that they were able to succeed the way that they were, but ultimately you talk to them, it, it's about the focus and it's about winning baseball games. And ultimately then you were reminded quickly that they fell short of their ultimate goal. So that anticipation for what was out there over the last couple of years has only mounted the expectation individually. And it hit a different level last year, hit a different level about July coming out of the all-star break. <clears throat> there was the change in leadership, a different voice in the room. And you started to sense that the, the players were going to have a little bit more of a say in how things are done. And you started to see some leaders really emerge out of that clubhouse too and take ownership with it. And, and to the, to the credit of the Blue Jays in the, in that room, some of the voices that maybe weren't as, as bold or as loud early in the season, they took that opportunity and said, Hey, we're going to flip this around. We're going to get this thing going. And that's when you started to see, even though a new guy, but Matt Chapman and Kevin Gossman, they really started to take uh, ownership of that room. And, and Whit Merrifield comes in and, you know, these are your guys that are grinded and then his role changed, but not his leadership style, you know? So there are massive presence in that room. And that only magnified this year, you know, with, with what they were able to do in the off season with the trades and free agency. So they, they really started to round some edges. Yeah. I, I mean, I think in terms of the team dynamic and how we've seen much more aggressive baseball being played since John's come in, it was lovely to see Charlie in the, in the ballpark the other night, but, but certainly John Schneider has made a huge difference um, in, in their approach to the game you feel that that's been a, a real positive outcome and, and can you see that will make a tangible difference sort of long-term? I think, I think there, there are some intangibles around who the voices and the big voices and the presence is right. Who's in front of the cameras, who's walking through the clubhouse every day and the message that they're relaying uh, without a doubt, that is certainly the case. And Schneids is, is, is there and is that person and has uh, an appreciation for one what he's got in front of him, but also then giving the players a lot of leeway and while instructing them and saying, hey, this is what we are going to do. This is what we're going to have the freedom to do now in this situation and, and in these moments. And then the guy's taking the ball and running with it. I mean, that's, that's what it's coming down to, but also it's a reflective point. You know, he had, he had a very close relationship and how the game days were operated and those players and, and everything that what makes them tick going way back to when he was in the minor leagues. But also now he gets to put his thumbprint on the brand of baseball that the blue Jays can be. And if you don't have a manager, you know, that, that is excited about base running and going first to third, trying to score a guy and giving Luis Rivera a lot of freedom, you know, to, to make a, a, a roll of the dice if the situation presents itself with a play at the plate, um, those freedoms exist. Like those freedoms exist with this Blue Jays club because they know they're going to score a ton of runs, right? They know that they've got a pitching staff that should, should, you know, really deny their opponents, you know, big run opportunities. And I love the line where I was on the field talking with Schneids and 
you know, I was talking about the outfield alignment and talking about, you know, are you going to be aggressive with your shifting in the outfield? And he goes, I got three Ferraris out there. You know, they're going to cover a lot of distance without me doing one thing. So those Ferraris now are on the short track when they're on the bases, you know, so look at it that way. So like the Kiermeyers, the Varshows, uh, the Springer, certainly of the world. This is a really, really unique brand. And this is one that only is pushed and magnified and emphasized from John Schneider's chair. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant to see him managing these super, as you say, superstars uh, on the field. And, and it's been exciting to see really the starting rotation really starting to pull together this year. I mean, obviously there were, were some bumpy moments, you know, Chris Bassett's opening game was a bit of a disaster and Manoa's taken a little while to find his groove, but that starting five and, and you say Kikuchi, I mean, the 2023 model upgrade uh, has just been extraordinary. I mean, what's your take on, on our starting five and how they're looking? It's pretty surprising when you look at it and, and break it down start by start. Everybody has had six or more shutout innings in the rotation. Everybody has allowed six or more earned runs at one point in a given start, with, regardless of how long or, or short that they're out there on the mound. So there has been a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde with this rotation at the start, but certainly... Uh, we're seeing brighter days in every fifth day. They're giving the Blue Jays consistency. What can you expect? Uh, I know this, that the major, major focal point for these five guys, one, to stay healthy, two, have an understanding of what each of them will give each and every night, and that is depth. The Blue Jays overall want to have this starting rotation, lead baseball in innings covered, and that means – you're preserving your bullpen. You're not asking them to come in and rush in situations that depletes the depth chart that really messes up the roles that can be defined within a bullpen. And it tinkers the, the leverage innings. If you're back in a ball game, if you had to burn some guys either on that night or in that series. So what you're seeing right now is the identity of the blue Jays rotation. And that is to get out there, pound the strike zone, not mess around, Use the whatever they feel on that day. And Danny Jansen gets a lot of this credit, too, because he has orchestrated some really, really tremendous starts to get Jose Barrios back on track, to get Yusei Kikuchi back on track. Um, and and that rhythm that has to be established with those two guys that were huge question marks coming into the season. You expected Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman to be two anchors and just extreme power pitchers in this rotation. You expected to see it from Chris Bassett in a little bit of a mad scientist way, you know, the way that he <laughs> uses his pitch repertoire and, and also yeah. trying to taps the, the pitch comm device. It's, it's entertaining. I mean, it's great yeah. feeder every night, but the bottom line is, you want zeros on the scoreboard and you want depth from your starting pitching and you want flat out dominance anytime you can get it. And we've seen flashes of that from this rotation. And personally, uh, and I know it's a long season, but I, and 30 starts is a lot to ask from every individual, but that's exactly what they've got in front of them in the, on their task list. And in terms of the changes, obviously the pitch clock has been introduced and I think there was concerns before the season started, particularly for Gosman, how would he cope with, with that? But we've seen all of them actually, on the whole, manage that situation quite well. But also seeing the improvements in in the performances, particularly Barrios and, and Kikuchi. Pete Walker is obviously fundamental in that whole discussion. How 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 does he turn somebody's season around? What appears to be so dramatically 
in in the off season to ensure that we are getting these performances from these guys so quickly. It just just feels such a a quick turnaround from from last year. For Kikuchi, yeah. Well, I mean, there was a lot going on with Yusei, right? So yeah. in with Yusei specifically, and you noticed this right away in spring training when I was watching the live in the Sims, in the Sim games, um, fundamental change with him on the mound, you know, the placement of the hands, it's now elevated and off the chin a little bit. He's, he's set up differently on the mound. They took away the hesitation with the leg kick. And for me, the biggest adjustment for Yusei Kikuchi is the arm path. It's a much more straight down, get it through the zone a lot quicker than that elongated reach and then come right over the top. That has also allowed his release point to be much more consistent. And there are, are, are endless reasons why that's important from tunneling to making sure you stay deceptive with all your pitches. But for you say it's kept him in the strike zone way more than what he was last year with the Blue Jays. And there were there were innings where he would look as dominant as any pitcher in the game and sometimes in the history of the game with his stuff because his stuff is electric, 97 miles an hour with great run. And then he has that split change, which has just fallen off the table. And, um, the, the you know, we made – and I'm guilty of this too. I made a big deal about him using a curveball and spinning it more in spring training. It was a really big point of emphasis – but with him being able to spin the baseball the way that he is, and he hasn't relied on the curveball heavily, but with him being able to just have a feel for spin on his other pitches, it's made his fastball much more consistent. So uh, there was a lot of work. There was a lot of conversation, certainly endless resources put in to you say and what kind of pitcher he wanted to become this season. And to his credit, because it took him to get it done, to his credit, he has certainly – turn the page from last year and looks like a completely different guy. <laughs> totally different. I mean, he's extraordinary. He's the figures that he's putting up. So, so pleased to see for him. And and certainly I think some of your Sportsnet colleagues have been saying in recent days in terms of how popular he is also in the clubhouse and uh, everybody last season was really rooting for him to, to do well. So it's great, great to see really exciting stuff. Just as we mentioned there about the pitch clock, um, this just, tap into your thoughts how do you feel that is settling down do you feel it's been a good change for the game um be interested to know from your perspective whether you know slightly shorter games to commentate on does that does that make a big difference for you uh say some stress on the vocal cords maybe um (laughs) but but over but take take that aspect out of it You, you know for me there was a significant shift in the game about 12 15 years ago where the pace, the endless amount of stalls um, both from a, a, a defensive standpoint, but also a, a hitter standpoint, I understand you want to be comfortable in the box and you need some time and all this, but in an eight to one ball game, a reliever should not be throwing over three or four times to first base in the eighth and ninth inning. It just makes no sense. Like, where is the focus? Where is the directive? Where is the actual baseball feel? So I think the clock, more than anything, is preaching accountability to both pitchers, defenders, and also the batter. You know, it's a much more of an awareness and that alertness to be, be willing to work within these confines of the game. The game's not shorter, certainly. Uh, the clock has allowed 
much more of an accountability towards that pace and that rhythm of the game, which for me as a baseball fan, and I love to see, I love to see defense. I love to see the athleticism. I love to see a rhythm to the game. And, you know, there's no reason, like I said, with the, the throws over the endless amount of mound visits, you know, so these little changes that have started to be sprinkled in now got a really big adjustment with the pitch clock and the shift restrictions, of course, uh, but I think everything that we have seen implemented and, and then forced in spring training got these guys ready for a much better brand of baseball than and what we're yeah. seeing across the game. Yeah, and I think obviously from a fan perspective like us and, and everybody who goes to watch a ball game, uh, it's been exciting baseball and, you know, stolen bases up and, you know, just everything that they've introduced yeah. feels like has been a really positive move. And uh, I guess guys coming through the system in years to come, this will just be second nature to them. It's, it will be. And, and you know what? This is part of the process too, right? It, yeah. This is by design. This is why you implement it in the minor leagues. Yeah. Um, and, you know, is automatic balls and strikes going to be there eventually? I think there's going to be some form of it, probably in a challenge system. That seems to be the most rewarding and uh, received and also effective next step in the minor leagues but again a lot of this is just going to be second nature right because this is part of how they have been brought into professional baseball and and developed but from a fan standpoint and i've got buddies and and families that come to games and they you know they love to talk about what their experience at the ballpark for years you know they'd run up and grab a beer they'd come back to the seat hey what did i miss anything like oh and like people would look at them like you didn't miss anything yeah you, you're in line for an inning and a half or you know you disappeared did a loop on the concourse you come back <laughs> two or three innings pass and like literally nothing's happened they're not might not even been a hit so, um now you, you run up you got to go to the washroom you got to hustle back you can't waste any time because the innings are flying by action is happening balls are getting in play and all of a sudden the scores are going erratic too yeah it's great and particularly for people like us who are watching Many of the games at midnight, uh, we're loving the fact that it's not going into the week at small hours. It's a, a whole lot better experience from from this side of the Atlantic, certainly. Um, uh, yeah, exciting, exciting baseball. Right. Um, just wanted to get pick your brains in terms of um, second base and just where that's going. I mean, for me, I feel which, which should be our regular second baseman, but there's been a little bit of change in platooning at that at that point what's your take on on what they're looking at and what they're planning to do there second base is probably the, the one looming question about how this this lineup gets constructed right uh at the end of the day for me whoever hits is going to play more that's the bottom line uh, and Kevin's going to get a good run and they look at a number of things i mean they look at a, a number of things in terms of where they choose to put Cavan in the lineup. And this is a much more balanced lineup with the left-handed hitters. So there's not that need daily to have Cavan in there, but just the other night against the White Sox, right? He cranks that home run. And the reason that he was in the lineup is because they like the swing path against the breaking ball of Lance Lynn. You know, Lance Lynn's not an overpowering guy beating with fastballs. And then I don't know. I mean, got too cute, tried to slip a curveball in there. Guess what? Uh, a meeting that happens at, 11 o'clock in that morning on the decision to put Kevin in the lineup because of this swing path ultimately sets up a victory for the Blue Jays races a, uh, an early deficit powers them in front I think four two at the time and they roll off to, to sweep the White Sox it really really kind of turned the tide in the opening game of that series so 
you know, there are moments, there are moments that might be a little bit more glaring or surprising to the outside. But then when you dive into why decisions are made, you know, you can look at it and see, but you know, SB, SB has got a hit if he wants to play. That's, that's the bottom line. You want to see more consistency with Cavan. Certainly he's versatile now and he's, he's owning, he's at least owning that kind of utility role a little bit more and said, you know, seven days in a week, I'll play seven different positions if it gets me in the lineup. But at the end of the day too, these guys have to hit and Witt's got a little bit bigger of a resume when it comes to getting the ball in play. And we've seen that, we've seen that quietly be a great start to the season for him. You know, he's playing a lot in the outfield, but that bat is telling you something and his ability to get on base. It's just not about the hits. It's about quality of bats and getting on with the walks. I think from last year, I think what we saw with Wick was because he wasn't in the lineup so regularly and the hitting was down. And I think, I think he just performs better, doesn't he? When he's regularly getting yeah. at bats and, and, and is doing he's, his business. He's in that pocket, right? With, the Chapman and the Bichettes, they, they yeah. want that high level compete every day rhythm. It's not, and it's hard because he had that in Kansas city. And not only that, what did he have in Kansas city? He was in the lineup every day. He was batting first. That means he was getting a ton of at bats every day. That role is certainly different here in this lineup because it's so much more talented and so much deeper, but that bottom part of the order is doing a lot of work. And Whit Merrifield is right in the middle of flipping that card for the big boys. Yeah, it's brilliant to see. Now, a uh, couple of guys who've come in this season, uh, Kevin Kiermaier and, and Varsho, both performing really well. So been so impressed with them. Uh, I think I was, when, when they signed Kiermaier, I said, oh, I wonder what that's going to feel like because he's been so good for, for the Rays and been our nemesis. Now having him on our side of the uniform, as it were, uh, just loving what he's doing and uh, owning that centre field. But both, both of them settled really well. Um, great acquisitions. Tremendous. You know, Kiermaier was was an interesting piece. And I thought, oh, why does this make sense even for Kevin Kiermaier? You know, he's 33 now. He's going to be back on turf. I thought maybe he would love to give his body a break. Um, but he looked at what the Blue Jays were able to do the last couple of years versus him and thought, man, this is pretty exciting. And you know what? I think I think more than anything for Kevin Kiermaier, uh, what he has learned about the Blue Jays, what he thought about that clubhouse and the, the talent that's around him. But he played on some really good teams in Tampa Bay. But what he didn't have was the energy of Rogers Center behind totally. him. Yeah. And that makes a difference. Like you watch Kevin Kiermeyer and this, this radiating personality that he has and this energy that he has, both physically when he's on the field with his athletic ability, then you hear him talk so deeply and passionately about what his experience like for the first month of the regular season. Uh, he, he looks not 33. He looks 20, 23 and talks yeah. like he's 23 and like <laughs> bursting into this new part of his career right now. So, uh, you know, and he may, man, you talk about making an impact and, and endearing yourself to the fan base. You climb yeah. that wall on opening day. Hello. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Blue Jays, Kevin Kiermeyer. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and I, he talked about that wall and the renovation changes. I mean, it is so attractive for him now, isn't it? In terms of that, that catch that he's already done, sure. but you know, plenty more of those, those performances and, and Dalton uh, over in left field. I mean, he's, he's doing great, doing well with the yeah. bat, speedy around the bases. 
liking what yeah, I'm seeing from him. The little things with Dalton, I, I still believe that he'll hit. I really do. And he's going to have some pop. I mean, he has the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, but again, we saw this with Matt Chapman last year, right? Remember, it took him a couple of months to get him going. He was really hard on himself. He was trying to make an impact. And now you got Varsha who changes corners and he's getting used not to just right field. He's now playing exclusively left and center field when uh, KK is getting a day off. And also, new role, new clubhouse, new organization, and he's batting cleanup. That's really, really a lot of pressure and a lot going on for, I mean, again, a really talented player. But there is certainly an emphasis, and there's a premium on that spot in the lineup. So, I, again, I, I think that once once the, the sea's kind of calm around Dalton Varsho, we're going to even see a better Dalton Varsho mm. than what than what we've seen at the plate. Mm. Uh, big, big names, Vladdy, Bo. Um, how do you feel they've started? Uh, I mean, they, they look looking in good shape. Uh, there's been some amazing plays by Vladdy at first. Um, but Bo, I think, is always going to have a few question marks in terms of his defensive play. It just seems to hang around him. Uh, but offensively, again, looking strong. Are you happy with how they're performing so far? Yeah, extremely happy. I don't, I, yeah. if you look at how, Bo and Vlad have started the season. I mean, and you're not pleased with that, then you're looking way too hard for negative things like, you know, these negative annotations. I, I think, you know, defensively in three years, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was kind of being hidden in the shadows of spring training, taking ground balls at first base. And nobody wanted to admit that, that it was happening. And within that short time, he plays every day in the pandemic season of 2020 2021, he has an incredible offensive season and pretty good defensive season. And then last year, he turns himself into a gold glove for his baseman. I mean, that is that is remarkable in its own right. And then this year, he looks like a much more mature hitter, in my opinion. And that's a little bit by design. He realized last year, where did he hit his big lapses? When he started to expand the zone, he started to really chase and, and take some really aggressive and mistimed swings. So he had a little bit of an epiphany in the offseason, said, all right, I'm on base all the time. I can zero in and I can still do damage within what I really can do damage on. And that's why I'm going to go out there and hunt. And if they walk me, they walk me. And I think Vladdy feels a lot less pressure in this lineup right now because of who's around him, knowing that he can make an impact in different ways versus hitting the ball out of the ballpark. And, um, and, and it's just, it's just tremendous. I mean, we're, we're seeing another layer of what makes Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Great. And Bo at the plate is, I love watching this kid hit, man. I, I just, I love his strength. I love the athleticism, whether it's the first pitch or the 12th pitch of an at bat, he will grind men down on the mound. And it's, it's pretty special to watch. And I know TV has talked about it and we talked about it earlier in the week, you know, that bare spot that's existed on his bat over the last couple of weeks because he's just chipping the paint off the lumber. And, um, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of got to be careful. You don't want the dead wood to, to emerge out of that bat because it has so many hits in it. And then defensive. Yeah. It's just remarkable. He is an elite hitter. I mean, elite hitter. And, I thought, man, to think that 
he can show you even more than what he's had at the plate is incredible to think about for a guy that's led the league back-to-back seasons and hits in the American league. Yeah. Um, it, it certainly makes you salivate about what's in front of him. Ah, uh, it's amazing. Do, do you think the Jays can hold on to these guys? I was sort of just thinking beyond even this season. Ooh. You've got, you've got. Bone. It's not a million dollar question. It's a billion I, uh, dollar question. I, exactly. I was just like the level of Rogers investment in the team has been good so far, but at what point do you think that there's going to be somebody we're going to say goodbye to? Um, I, or, 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 or to what length do you think they're going to go to yeah. try and retain these guys? I, I think they're going to go to every length to retain many of them. I mean, many of the caliber of players and there, there are certainly two shining stars of this franchise and Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero jr. And Mm. you know what they should, I mean, they should explore whatever free agency potentially could look like and set up generations of their family and their legacy, uh, which is already pretty good for both of them. Uh, But to make their mark and really have a mainstay, uh, certainly Rogers center and whatever Rogers center looks like in the next 12 to 15 years would love to have their mark on it and become their homes. I, I think both of them love playing as a Toronto blue Jay. I, you know, I, I can't get wrapped up in the front office stuff and here's what they project to make and all this other stuff. Cause I just want to call the ball games to be honest with you. Um, but, but the years and the dollars, are going to be extreme for both of these guys, wherever the offer sheets come from. Um, and, but, you know, I can say like, you know, when Vladdy's been very public about this, he wants to remain, well, first off, he's been very public about never playing for the New yeah, York Yankees. I was going to say that, that to you. That is, that is so humorous to me, <laughs> but he's also been, <laughs> and he told Hazel again, reiterating it in spring training when they had their sit down uh, that he wants to be a Toronto Blue Jay for life. And he really feels connected to so much of this franchise and this fan base and and he feels embraced by it certainly i don't think he would make these offhanded comments if he wasn't feeling it reciprocated in a number of different ways and from a number of different levels you know um and 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 winning cures a lot boy i mean it certainly would make it inviting for the the franchise to lock up some of that but you just i mean you just never know right Sure, we don't know, but we do know that he's not going to the Yankees, so that that's nice to have that in that's the back good. pocket. So, yeah. uh, Ben, I'm conscious of the time and I need to let you go. Um, it'd be great just to get your closing thoughts. Obviously, back to going to a series with the Mariners, uh, bit of a grudge, uh, following what happened in the postseason last year, uh, and coming out of a White Sox series where the White Sox, you know, aren't that competitive at the moment. Um, what what are you sensing for for this series against the Mariners? Uh, some serious juice. Uh, <laughs> you know the way that the pitching lines up, and, and it's a rematch of Game One for the American League Wild Card, where you've got Luis Castillo, who's just—I mean—he's incredible. He's incredible. He was kind of hidden with what he was doing in Cincinnati, but within the game, you're seeing it now on a much larger stage, and what he was able to do, and then sign the contract with the Mariners going up against Alec Manoa, you know, who, who looked like Alec Manoa when he was pitching in the Bronx. So I'm certainly excited about this. It's a Friday night in downtown Toronto. The place is going to be electric for these three games. And it's a little bit of a, of a like, Oh, Hey, old friend time, you know, with Teoscar coming back. Almost. I mean, if you look back and rewind as devastating as game two was in the wild card, Teoscar Hernandez 
made his own charge to beat the Mariners single-handedly with the two homer game and, and, and set that up where it was seven, nothing. And before it all unraveled, then it was eight to one. And it just, you know, it just, it just went against the blue Jays and the Mariners walked away with that victory. Eric Swanson, I'm sure is going to have a lot of weird feelings looking across the diamond, seeing that M as well. Uh, I, th- I think the blue Jays on paper certainly are still the better team than the Seattle Mariners. There's a lot of belief there's not only impact players with Julio Rodriguez, who's off to a slow start, but Jared Kelnick is somebody that has completely turned his last couple of years around. And he looks like a complete player and the number one prospect that the Mariners thought they got when they acquired him. He looks great. A. Eugenio Suarez is still raking. Um, so it's a really good Mariners team. It's a really good pitching staff that's coming in here as well, even with um with the, the next two games, but the Blue Jays have their horses lined up too with Alec Manoa. Then you go to Kevin Gosman and then you go to Chris Bassett for this three game series. So it's certainly got a number of talking points. Uh, I feel like it might be the easiest series that I'm going to broadcast of the season so far <laughs> because of everything that had happened and everything that's going on with these guys. So it, it'll be fun to see how it all plays out once these guys get between the lines. Uh, brilliant. Really looking forward to it. Uh, ben, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's always good just to touch base with you and, and hear your thoughts. And I really appreciate, you know, giving us so much time today, particularly as you're about to head off down to the ballpark, get yourself ready for this evening's game. Uh, thanks for your time. And we'll speak Absolutely. to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and uh, continued support of the Blue Jays and kind of making sure Blue Jays baseball is relevant and radio and television across the pond, as you like to say. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know that there was this little pocket of fandom that existed over there, but it's massive. And earlier this week, I saw the Twitter traffic as well. So, Hey, I I know it's day baseball over here in Toronto, but I know that you guys are rolling out a happy hour, (laughs) getting ready for blue Jays (laughs) baseball as well, uh, when we've got our day games. So it's great to see that interaction. Yeah, no, there are a massive number of Jays fans here in the UK and it's great just being able to pull a little bit of your world into ours and uh, having that connection. So really appreciate your time and uh, we wish you and your family well. Thank you so much. Be well. Take, take care. Bye. The Red, White and Blue Jays podcast is a production of Blue Jays Fans UK. If you've got a Blue Jays story to share, let us know. Email us at UK at gmail.com and follow along on Twitter and Instagram at UK. I'm your announcer, Jim Langton. Thanks for listening.